Amen. You know, it's interesting how many of those lament psalms, as the psalmist begins to cry out to the Lord, where are you? How long? What, what is going on, oh God? But yet, by the end of the psalm, sometimes, not all the time, sometimes, the end of the psalm says, and yet I will still praise you yet again. And yet I will praise you. Job, who's lost everything, says to his wife, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord our God. It is good to praise him because he is worthy and because he is still good and because he is still on his throne as the sovereign God. Okay, we're doing something a little different today. It's a little bit out of my element. We're still talking about God's ways are being best, but instead of walking through 1 Corinthians like we've been doing, we're taking a little break from Memorial Day weekend and we're gonna do a topical sermon, which I was trained at Beeson Divinity School not to do, so this is a little out of my wheelhouse. A topical sermon, remember, is about a topic, not a, about a given text in which we dive into that Bible passage and we see what the Lord has for us together. Today we're talking about a topic, and that topic is God's ways for church. What are God's ways for church? We're asking what are God's best for church? Maybe you, like me, have grown up in church, and you know church is kind of second nature for you. You feel comfortable here. Uh, you know the, the handshake, you, you know the songs, you know the, the piano and the, the organ. Maybe church is kind of second nature to you, but <laughs> if we just are going through the motions of church, then we're missing something. I think the pandemic has kind of forced us all to take a step back and ask, what, what's the point of church? Why do we even go? Is it just because we were raised in it? Do we really need the body of Christ? And, and maybe more importantly, does the body of Christ need me and need you? What are we doing here anyway? These are good questions to ask, okay? I, if you're asking those questions, kudos to you. This morning, I wanna try to unpack some of that church baggage that, that some of us carry, maybe church trauma for some of us, and just be honest with ourselves and with one another about why we're here and what we're doing and where we're headed as a church. You know, it's easy to get confused about what a church is. We've, we've established that a church is a people. A church is not a, a building. A church is not a company. A church is not a business. It's not a club. We know these things, right? In our head, at least, we know them. When I was a teenager, my family and I were part of a flagship Baptist church. You know what that means? It means it's a historic church that has had a lot of prominent Baptist leaders as members in that church over many years. And we had several denominational workers who attended the church that we went to, like my parents who worked for Lifeway Christian uh, Resources, uh, now just called Lifeway. They dropped the capital W too, it's just now Lifeway, uh, which makes more sense, I think. And, and Dr. Sherman and I were talking about uh, people who had worked for the Sunday School Board or for Lifeway over the years. These are, these are experts. They are trained in, in how to do church because they're supposed to be the ones that churches look to. And, and, and Bill and I you know, have had several friends who have worked at denominational places, but 
sometimes they, they come in thinking they have all the answers and it's not always as practical. It's kind of like the ivory tower professors, right, who don't actually get out of the ivory tower and in the trenches where the work actually happens. Maybe we're just biased, Bill, that way, but I, I think there's some truth to that. There was no shortage at this church of experts who had extensive training in church growth strategies. I've read that the whole church growth movement can pretty much be traced back to the 1950s to one guy, Donald McGavran. You probably never heard of Donald McGavran. He was a, a missiologist and a professor at Fuller Theological Seminary out in California. But you probably have heard of some of his uh, students, like Bill Hybels, who was the pastor of Willow Creek Community Church, the biggest church in the country at one point. Another student of his, uh, Rick Warren, who planted Saddleback Church in California, which was also the biggest church in the nation at some point. McGavern trained these guys in into this whole movement where you got more people to come to your church. And it wasn't a wrong thing. It's not a wrong-headed strategy, okay? Don't hear me bashing church growth. I want our church to grow, okay? Hear me say that. I think church growth is a good thing. But sometimes it's like getting the cart before the horse, right? In 2004, Bill Hybels and Willow Creek published a, an apology. Their, their whole movement of, of being seeker sensitive, they call it, in, in order to get more people into the building so they could hear the gospel, it, it wasn't working. It wasn't producing disciples who are resilient and who are making disciples. They, they did a whole study and they found that their church had gone a mile wide but an inch deep. And it wasn't effective in building a healthy church. So what we're gonna do today is take a look at what is a healthy church. Just in the last 20 years or so, we're seeing a shift from that church growth movement. A lot of it was due to the fact that Willow Creek published that uh, report that said this isn't working. This, this strategy that we've all been trained in, that my parents were trained in for 50 years, isn't working. Maybe we get bigger churches with bigger budgets and pastors with bigger salaries, but we're not really doing what the New Testament says we ought to be doing. And we're not really being effective at being the body of Christ. So there's a shift now from church growth to something people now call church health, to be in a healthy church. What is a healthy church? You know, healthy things definitely grow, okay? There's a, a, a beautiful patch of grass in my front yard. If you drive down time, you can see it, okay? It's just like this lush, green, verdant grass. And every time it rains, that little section of grass, it's a probably, you know, 20 foot by 20 foot maybe, uh, that section grows faster and healthier and it's weed free. And the rest of my yard, the other 70% of my yard is covered in weeds and it doesn't grow very well. It's not very healthy and it looks terrible. <laughs> I need help. Uh, don't come with me with your suggestions. Okay, I, I, I don't care that much. Uh, <laughs> but healthy things do grow. Healthy things flourish and healthy things thrive, okay? So a healthy church will grow. If we plant the right things in the right way, if we nurture and, and, and fertilize and water in the right way, 
What does Paul say to the Corinthians? I planted, Apollos watered, but then what? God gave the growth. God will give the growth. Not a preacher, not a music team. God will give the growth if we grow in a healthy way. So I want us to step back and consider what kind of church is Woodmont going to be in the future? Woodmont has a long, rich history. For 80 years, this church has ministered from this corner. We've, we've seen lives transformed by the ministry of this church. Both Dr. Sherman and I have stood here and conducted weddings, and we've conducted funerals, and, and we've, we've had sacred times of, of hardship and sacred times of joy and worship here as well. And many of you, Carlton Carter back there joined in 1958. Anybody beat that? Anybody been a member here longer than Carlton? I don't think so. He left for a little bit in that, that, that tenure to go to Florida, but uh, he's been a member here. He joined Woodmont in 1958. Let that kind of blow your minds, young people. Uh, that's a faithful churchman. So what we're going to do is, is consider what kind of church we want to be. I know that Woodmont, like a lot of churches and a lot of businesses, have gone through like, uh, you know, we've, we've hired consultants over the past and, and we've come out with vision statements. We've come out with mission statements. Uh, I think it was over four years ago, Rachel, that we went to a conference, refocused, right? And our staff, uh, you know, knuckled down and we, we spent three days asking what is the mission of Woodmont. And, you know, we didn't come out with anything spectacular, I don't think, but what we agreed on was that Woodmont's mission is the same mission that every church has, right? To follow the great commission and the great commandments. The great commandments being to love God with all that we are, that's worship. The, the, great, uh, other, the second great commandment, to love our neighbors as ourselves, we call that ministry, meeting needs in the name of Jesus. And then we're told in the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. That's evangelism, and then we should teach them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded us. That's what we call discipleship. And we should baptize them into the body of Christ, giving them a new family. We call that fellowship, koinonia, brotherhood and sisterhood, being part of the same family together. So we came up with these triangles, and you've seen them in the lobby, and they're on everything that we do. And I still think these are good things, okay? These are good things for the church to do, to do well and to do intentionally. But I think we need to step back and maybe say how. In what kind of context will these five purposes be accomplished? What kind of church does these things well? I think a healthy church does worship, does evangelism, does discipleship, does fellowship, and does ministry effectively and enthusiastically. So what is a healthy church? I've come up with seven attributes. These aren't gospel, okay? These aren't, these are just kind of Nathan's thoughts. You probably have better ones. I'd love to hear them, okay? If you have an idea of what a healthy church should be like, I've come up with seven attributes of what I think a healthy church is. A lot of this is inspired by a book called Nine Marks of a Healthy Church by Mark Dever. I've managed to condense that into a more biblical number. Seven, you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> these aren't the only seven marks of a healthy church, but I do think that these are essential for any local expression of the body of Christ in order to be a healthy church. 
in, in order to be the kind of church that is effective in actually doing the things that the New Testament has charged us with doing. And, and hear me, these are not some gimmick, okay? These are not to go on t-shirts. These are not to go on, uh, you know, some corporate strategy of how to do church. There are countless blogs and countless conferences and countless books and resources available that promise church growth. Now they promise church health, of course, by following these three simple steps to, or, or by learning these five effective ways to, or by learning the, these seven steps to whatever. I believe that these seven characteristics are not just my ideas, but what I see in the Bible as being effective for church. Therefore, I, I think these are God's ideas. Can I say that? That's, that's a bold thing to say, uh, that I'm playing the God card. But I think this is what the Lord is saying to us in Scripture for how to be a healthy church. Some of these describe Woodmont to some degree, and others, we got some work to do together in order to be a healthy church. You may be saying, Nathan, are you saying that we're not a healthy church? I'm not saying that. I'm saying we all could do better, right? I had a, a lunch with a friend who's here today, a church member, and uh, he, was, he was so careful with how healthy he's trying to be. He asked the server, how much chicken is on this? And, and she said, I think it's a chicken breast, one chicken breast. He said, yeah, but how much does it weigh? <laughs> and she said, I don't know, I didn't weigh it. And he's like, well, could you find out? Because he's being careful with his health. We all could do better is what I'm saying. Woodmont could be a healthier church, okay? That's, I don't think that should offend anyone, uh, but just to see reality as it is. Uh, each of these should be a sermon, okay? But I'm just gonna lay them out broadly. Maybe we'll come back to them this fall or, or next winter or something and do a series on all seven of these. Or maybe you'll correct me and give me some better ones and we'll do a series on that. But let's just go through these briefly. The first mark of a healthy church is that it has a high view of God. A healthy church has a high view of God. That may sound obvious, that may sound trite, but I think it's really, really important. I was gonna say a healthy church has a high view of God's word, but then I thought, no, it's really more important to go to the person behind the book, to the one that the book points to. The whole point of the book is to what we just read in Ephesians 3, to know God through the book. It's all about him. We have to put that first and foremost the high and holy triune God who alone is uncreated and is from everlasting to everlasting. If we don't get that right, everything else is a waste of time. First Chronicles 29, King David wants to build the temple of God, but God says, no, you got blood on your hands. You're a violent person. You can't build it. And David says, well, I'm gonna take up an offering so that my son Solomon can, can build it. He takes up an offering and he prays a prayer of blessing. This is the guy who wrote most of the Psalms. He's a worship leader, he's a songwriter, and he knows who God is. Look at verse 10. Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever, the faithfulness of God. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory, and the victory, and the majesty, 
For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. What a beautiful worship song, isn't it? If God truly is the greatest being, if God is truly the greatest good in all of the, the universe, then we should seek to honor him as God. We should seek to bring glory to him because he alone is worthy. I think about J.S. Bach, right? All glory to God, solo deo gloria, right? I, I got a great song from a friend of mine in the church who I was feeling overwhelmed and stressed this week, as a lot of you were, and he sent me a, a new song from a group out in California that says, wouldn't it be like you, God, if, if you were different than we thought, different than we want, but better? And then the, the bridge says, don't give up, he's better. He is better than whatever it is that you are lacking, he's better than whatever that is. That's the greatness of God. We gotta get that part right, who God is. The all-powerful, all-sovereign, all-knowing, all-present, all-good creator, savior, and sustainer. That really is the ultimate mission of the church, the mission of every church. Again, those five triangles are all about one thing, bringing glory to the one who deserves it. We must have a high view of God. Second, a healthy church, therefore, has a high view of, you guessed it, God's word. If this high and holy God has truly revealed himself to us, graciously revealed himself to us in written form, we would do well to build our lives on this. All of our teaching, all of our preaching, all of the way we raise our children, all of that should be based on the living and active words of the Bible. We must submit ourselves under the authority of the Bible. There are lots of things that I would change in here. <laughs> it's really inconvenient sometimes. It's really hard sometimes. But they are God's ways, and God's ways are best. We flourish when we submit ourselves under the authority of Scripture. H.B. Charles Jr., he's a great preacher in, in Florida, a uh, great Baptist uh, churchman. He, he says, this is a radical but obvious truth that the Word of God is to be the final authority in local church ministry. It's radical. Think about it. He says, the Word of God, not pastoral vision, sorry, not congregational tradition, sorry, not statistical goals, I've been in churches like that, not in ministry programs, that's why we're not panicked over our youth ministry, okay, it's not all about that. It's not about attendee preferences, sorry. The church is not a business. Pastors are not executives, and ministry is not franchise building. Can I get an amen? <laughs> That's very freeing to me as a pastor. It is a radical truth that should be obvious. The word of God is the final authority for church. Third, a healthy church keeps the gospel at the center 
You know, in staff meetings, I know you'll be shocked by this, but I have a tendency to get into the weeds and to start talking about things that may not matter that much. And, and Lil Cook, who's out of town uh, this weekend, she'll bring us back sometimes, bring me back uh, sometimes by saying, <coughs> we need a major on the majors. We need a major on the majors. What really matters? What really is important? What really is the core <coughs> of what we're doing and what we're talking about? The, the gospel is the center of the entire Christian faith. The good news that God so loved the world and gave his only son is the core of all Christian doctrine. God's giving of his son is the climax, not only of the biblical story, but in the story of everything ever. It's the center of history. Every page of scripture either points forward to the coming Christ or it points backward to the death, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We must therefore keep that good news central in our work, in our lives, and in our church, and in, in our gatherings. 1 Corinthians 15, we'll get there in like a couple months. Uh, Paul tells his struggling church plant in Corinth, in, starting in verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. I, of first importance, I told you what matters most, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he came to earth, that he lived a perfect life among us, and that he died, and that he rose again, and that he appeared and now he reigns in glory. The gospel is foundational. Have you ever buttoned a shirt and, and gotten the first button wrong and you don't realize it until you get to the bottom and you're like, oh no, the gospel is that first button. You've, you've gotta get the gospel right and then everything else doctrinally makes sense. The gospel must be foundational. Number four, a healthy church obeys the great commandments and the great commission. These are our triangles. Uh, this, this means doing them intentionally. And I think the word obeys is really important too. If you're like me, you don't like authority very much. But to obey means to submit ourselves under the authority of one who has authority. Who has authority? Matthew 28, 18 tells us, Jesus says to us, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Thank God that Jesus says, I'm gonna help you. I'm gonna send my comforter, the Holy Spirit, to help you in that process. It's a beautiful thing, but we're supposed to submit ourselves to this. I remember telling a preacher friend one time, man, I don't really have the gift of evangelism. I'm just not really gifted for evangelism. He said, oh, it's not a gift, it's a calling. We're all called to do it. I heard another pastor say, if you're not making disciples, you may not be one. If you're not making disciples, you may not be one. We're all called to obey the words of Jesus. If you aren't actively seeking out how to witness to a lost person, then, then you are not obeying the commands. In staff meeting, we've started to list our 
by first name only people who we are witnessing to in our personal evangelism? Who are we praying for to, to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ? It's not a gift, it's a calling to obey. And too often I hear people elevate the Great Commission over the Great Commandments. When we went to the, the, the Southern Baptist Convention in Nashville last summer, uh, there was a push by some folks to change the name of the Southern Baptist Convention to the Great Commission Baptist Convention. And one of our deacons who was with us uh, from Woodmont said, wait, 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 they're forgetting the Great Commandment. Jesus literally said, this is of first importance. This is of uh, top priority. Matthew chapter 26, he clearly says, this is the greatest and first commandment. It's to love the Lord your God with all that you are. He said, I'm gonna make shirts and campaign to change our name to Great Commandment Baptist. That'll show him. He didn't do it. The philosopher James K.A. Smith says that human beings are fundamentally desiring animals. We are creatures created by God in his image that desire, our affections, our love, point our lives towards a target. And we chase what we love and we resemble what we chase. We chase what we love, we resemble what we chase. If you love the Lord, you will be conformed to his likeness. If you love something else, you will be conformed to that. And that thing will let you down because it is an idol if it is not God. Our heart habits aim our affections towards an object, the target of our love. And if that target is an idol, then it's deadly because we're like a dog chasing a car. It's not gonna be fun when we catch it. Our hearts are idle factories. If we love a sports team, if we love our children, if we love uh, our church, anything more than God himself, then we need a heart reset. Fifth, a healthy church has meaningful membership. This is something that Baptist churches in the last 100 years or so have not really done that well. I heard it said that uh, in the 80s here at Woodmont, if you were not in your pew in the 1030 service, Jim, tell me if this is true or not, you get a phone call from this guy right here by about two o'clock p.m., missed you in service today. <laughs> I don't know how he did that because I can't, I can't see who's here and who's not here. I'm just trying not to say something silly. Uh, but uh, there was accountability. If you were a member, you were expected to be here. And your pastor was, was helping you understand we, we miss you when you're not here. We need you to, to, to input into this body. Some of the most sacred things that happen in this church happen in the hallways in between classes, or they happen in the parking lot. Uh, when you have a conversation with someone, how was your grandfather's funeral? Uh, where, where were you guys last week? Oh, I'm sorry to hear that your mom's sick. You know, those kind of conversations are so important, and we can't have those over the internet, not really. We've got to be here uh, in person, gathering together uh, in meaningful membership ways. Jonathan Lehman says that uh, being a member of a church is making your whole life speak about Jesus. That's a bold statement. Being a member of a church makes your whole life speak about Jesus because you're showing the world where your allegiance lies, not just to Woodmont Baptist, but to the body of Christ around the world. You're saying, this is who I 
am. Membership starts with being baptized into the body as Baptists. We believe that's where membership begins with believers' baptism. And it comes with certain responsibilities and privileges. Members of Christ's body feast at the Lord's Supper table together. We're not therefore a random group that just kind of gathers spontaneously, but we're an organized assembly so that the world can know who the people of God are. Church membership is how the world knows who represents Jesus. We are the family of God now because we have been officially adopted into his family. Membership is like signing the paperwork that you're taking his name as your own. I think it's true that someone who claims to be a Christian but is not a member of a church is a, a Christian in trouble. A Christian who's not a member of a church, I think is a Christian in trouble. And closely related to the subject of meaningful church membership is the sixth mark of a healthy church, one that intentionally practices the one another commands of scripture. Each year on Maundy Thursday, Woodmont has a beautiful tradition of gathering for the, the Lord's Supper on the night that Jesus was betrayed and, and hearing the new commandment to love one another. That's not new, right? Leviticus 19 says, love your neighbor as yourself. But Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. And by this, the world will know you are my disciples, that you love one another in this radical way. This year, uh, we talked about how the Bible is full of God's good instruction on how we are to treat those who are part of our faith family so that our churches will be able to carry out the mission of God on earth. Amen, Harper. Yeah, thank you. You should have seen her singing when we were uh, singing the music. She was just dancing on that pew and, and talking. Thanks for that. Amen. I love it. We're a family of faith here. It really doesn't bother me at all. Uh, love it. God tells us in his word how to treat one another. In the New Testament alone, there are over 50 one another commands. That doesn't even include God's instructions to his first family, to the Israelites, but to the new covenant people of God. He, he gives us 50 commands. And they're not abstract guidelines. I think he actually means for us to do these things. I believe they're practical instructions on how a local expression, an individual body of believers ought to function. Just a, a brief overview, Romans 12, live in harmony with one another. Romans 15, instruct one another. 1 Thessalonians 5, encourage one another. Galatians 6, bear one another's burdens. Ephesians 4, bearing with one another, being patient for the sake of unity. Healthy churches aren't just clubs, right? They're not clubs where we have friends. They're a family of faith in which the members build one another up in love. Finally, seventh mark. This is a big one, and we don't have time to get into it, but a healthy church has polity and policies that it likes and follows. I've had a few friends who've taken churches as pastors that were in desperate need of revitalization. They dwindled down to, you know, 30 or 40 members or so. 
And when I was asking them, how are you, you know, fixing things? How are you turning things around? They'd kind of describe some things, and I'd say, well, what do your bylaws say? And at least two of them have told me, we don't know. We don't have bylaws. When I got to the church and asked about where are the bylaws, they're like, we don't know. We, we haven't seen them. This guy used to keep them, and he died a few years ago. In our church, Clifton Simmons, is Nathan here today? Uh, Clifton Simmons was like the keeper of the bylaws. You guys who are deacons know what I'm talking about. He had these great copies of the bylaws, and he went on to glory a, a couple of years ago. But I think our bylaws are so important because it's how we do church. I'll confess, when I came to Woodmont, I don't think I'd seen the bylaws when I showed up here. We are organized by a structure. Every church is. And a healthy church is organized by a structure that's informed by Scripture, not by what other churches do, not by what is pragmatic, not by business models. We know that the Bible shows us God's best for marriage or for single lives, like we talked about a couple weeks ago. We know that God's Word shows us God's best for how we view money. We know that the Bible shows us God's best for how we live as citizens of a country. But does it have anything to say about God's best for how we do church? Yes, it actually does. And we're going to take some look at our polity according to God's word over the next year or so. Our bylaws are important and policies are important. Polity is how we you know, govern ourselves under this authority of scripture in Christ. Policies like our 24-page child protection policy that Rachel and her team developed help ensure that Woodmont is a safe place for the vulnerable among us. That's incredibly important for us as Woodmont. A healthy church abides by its polity and by its policies because they are good guides for how to do and be the church. This really is my, my vision for Woodmont. I was so sad, I was heartbroken to read a resignation letter of a pastor here in town who said, I'm resigning because I have no vision for the church. And I've been asked before, what is your vision for the church? That's a good question to ask. And, and recently a deacon asked me that in a staff meeting. And, and I said, I, I think my vision is just for us to be a healthy church. That's really what I want for Woodmont overall is to be a healthy church church, a church that, that does the things the New Testament says to do. And it's not flashy necessarily. It's not like getting, raising a lot of funds by saying that. But I think ultimately, if we are going to be the kind of church that God wants for the next 80 years on this corner, then we need to take seriously the things that God tells the church to be and do. It's not a bad thing to have a vision, and I think the vision is the same for our church as for every church, to be a healthy church that brings glory to God. So this morning, I've laid out for you seven uh, traits that I think are really important for a church to have in order to bring God the most glory possible. You may not find them very compelling. That's okay. You may not be very excited about that. That's okay. We're going to work together to figure this out. And again, maybe you have things that I'm missing that is probably very likely. Let me know. Let's discuss together. What do you think are the biblical traits of a healthy church? A lot of you have been doing this a lot longer than I have. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Let's prayerfully discuss what makes a church healthy. 
Woodmont, again, is, has been an, an incredibly important church in the lives of so many people. I had lunch this past week with Kevin Roberts. You know Kevin Roberts. He said, this church has meant so much to me over the years. I met my wife here. We were married here. We, we grew up in this church. He was called to ministry here in this church. And, and Woodmont has played that part in so many people's lives. What is God going to do here over the next 80 years? What we are working now uh, for will benefit those who come after us. And I'm convinced that if we can do these things well, that God will continue to use this body of believers to expand his kingdom and to make an eternal impact all by his grace and for his glory. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you didn't just leave us to figure these things out for ourselves, but that you did reveal yourself and your ways to us in scripture. We thank you that this entire month we've been able to see what your ways are because your ways are best. Your ways for our families, your ways for our friendships, your ways for how we view our work and our vocational life, and your ways for church and how we do church. God, I pray that you would enable us as Woodmont to, as Sandy prayed earlier, boldly follow you where you lead so that we can do and be those things that you tell us in your word a church ought to be and do. Lord, we're excited. We're nervous. I'm nervous. But I'm also excited because I know that as we get healthier, you will increase the glory that is given to you. You will increase the lives that are transformed forever. God, we long to see folks go from death to life as they come to faith in you and as the waters of baptism are stirred. God, we long to see people find hope and healing, for people to find meaningful connections at a deep, deep level, friendships that are not just based on sports or, or based on coffee or food, but based on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we long to see your kingdom come and your will be done at Woodmont, in Nashville, and in our nation, and around the world. May you use Woodmont to do those things and to be those things in the future. We pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Amen. Uh, I know this, this morning that there's no like one point or one text, but if there's any takeaway that you, I want you to remember today as you leave, it's that being a part of the body matters. Being a part of the body of Christ matters. If you are a Christian, you can't do Christianity by yourself. It's a team sport. We need one another. And, and the ministry is not for the pastors to do. The ministry is not for Rachel and for uh, the, the staff to do. The ministry is yours. Uh, Ephesians 4 says that the pastors and teachers were given to equip you guys, the saints, for the work of ministry. I'm excited to hear stories uh, like Barry's about paying for someone's hotel and about the Lord using him in that way. I'm excited to hear stories about your coworker who you've been praying for, who's finally gonna come to church with you and hear the gospel. I'm excited to hear stories about how you are seeing God move in your life and at Woodmont to make us the kind of church that he wants us to be. We're gonna get back to expositional preaching next week as we walk through uh, 1 Corinthians. And I'm excited to see uh, how the Lord's gonna use not only uh, the Bible to shape us, but one another. Uh, will you please play your part in, in obeying the one another commands? 
Will you love one another as Christ has loved us? The Bible says that he loved us so much that he gave himself up for the church, his bride. And one day at the marriage supper of the Lamb, we, the church, will be reunited with Jesus Christ, our Lord, forever and ever to reign with him in glory. Until that day, uh, let's respond. If you need to become a Christian for the first time by giving uh, all of your trust in what Jesus has done for you, by accepting the free grace of salvation that he offers through his death and resurrection, there's no better time to do that than right now. I'll be down front. would love to talk to you about that. Maybe you want to say, I'm in. I want to join Woodmont. I want to be a part because membership matters. And I want to be a member here of what God's doing. If that's you, then I invite you to come forward too. Maybe you've never been baptized. And we believe that baptism is like entrance into the body of the church. Maybe you're ready to follow Jesus in believer's baptism. Whatever it is that you need to do today, I'll be here at the front. Let's stand and sing our hymn of response.